Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Good morning and welcome to Talkback Gardening on this wet, wintry, windy weekend. I hope you're going okay in lockdown. As I said, it's the perfect day for staying indoors today and John Lamb is indoors in his own home with his little dog Zoe outside the door. Good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Yes, the wind is blowing, probably as the prelude to the storm. Let's hope it doesn't cause too much damage when it does come. And certainly it's wet, 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 wet. Deb, the uh, interesting things, because it's been so wet for so long, I think we've had about 15 wet days out of the past 24. Um, <laughs> anybody that's got pavers will notice that the, the gaps in between the pavers are bright green. It's quite rife. It's a big problem and it's going to get worse. We're going to talk about uh, how to get rid of it with Stefan Palm later on in the program. And uh, he's talking about new products. They're a bit expensive. So I thought maybe people might like to send you a text uh, with their little home recipe and so long it's that it's environmentally acceptable. <laughs> we might be able to work that into the program. And then, of course, later on, we'll be talking, just very soon, we'll be talking ferns. That's right. So if you have a fern question, call in now because we'll be meeting Wayne Richards, president of the SA Fern Society, very shortly. If you've got a question about ferns, Wayne can help you out on 1300 222891. We will get back to general talkback gardening with John Lamb a little bit later in the program. If you would like to text through and I'm getting quite a few recipes for controlling algae in your home pavers, please do on 0467 922 891 when we catch up with Stefan Palm a little bit later in the program. I also have an ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away so if you haven't won one from us in the last <coughs> month... Stay tuned for that, please, and look forward to giving that away to you as well. So a lot to get through in Talkback Gardening. So I think it might be time to introduce our first guest, John. Wayne Richard is a very keen fern grower. He also happens to be the president of the Fern Society of South Australia, and he's very generous with his time, and he gives lots of talks uh, to different organisations about growing ferns. But it's the time of the year when ferns are starting to stir. They're one of the first plants to start growing early in spring, and you'll know it's late winter. Uh, before long, people will be wanting to repot and uh, to grow and divide and have a lot of fun with their ferns, and that's what that's what it's all about, having fun with ferns. And I think they're an ideal plant for many people that have got container gardens. So let's say good morning to you, Wayne. Morning, John. Deb, how are you this morning? What are your ferns looking like in this middle of winter and the cold and wet weather? Actually, they're looking quite good. Some of them are starting to lose their, their fronds, so I know it's time later on, in a few months' time, to start removing some of them, but most of them look quite good. Yes, and they are very, very tolerant of cold weather. Just coming on that, I mean, there are ferns that grow all around Australia. They're Australian plants, and, and uh, perhaps it's important that if you're going to grow a fern that you get the right one for South Australia. Yeah, there's as many varieties you can get. As we know, if we travel to Queensland or New South Wales, we go for walks through the forest. And you see all these beautiful ferns and you think, I'll come back to South Australia and, yeah, maybe I'll grow some of them. But then you look at the conditions, so we don't have the humidity. So that's what we have to look for when 
we're looking for plants that we want to grow here. Some <laughs> of the ones that I would suggest for down here, there's there's a, a small variety of adiantums that you can grow that for the average gardener. Um, there's some asplenniums, there's some blechnums, you've got the holly fern, which is a good one that people grow, the old sword fern or the nephrolepsis, terrace, polypodiums, and another one that you see in uh, flower arrangements is the remora. So there, there is a variety okay. that you can grow. That's right, a big range out there. And probably, Wayne, I suspect that if most people, if people go along to their local garden centre, uh, the ones that you mentioned, you know, to some people, they'll be funny names that you've just mentioned, but uh, they're regular uh, names and they're on the labels. So if you pay a visit to your local garden centre and take a look at the different kind of ferns and the ones that the garden centres are selling would be presumably the ones that will grow here in South Australia. Yeah, yeah. We don't get many that come down from top end of Queensland like your, your fine maiden hairs, um, which everyone seems to want to grow, but you have to have mainly a hothouse or something like that if you want to grow them. So the ones I mention are more hardy. Let's take a look at an average courtyard garden, and it's relatively small, so uh, ferns are small, or some of them, a lot of them are small, so they, they fit in very, very nicely. They adapt well to containers, but the average courtyard is often shady, or else it'll be shady some of the time, and it'll be sunny for some of the time. Um, so just talk a little bit about getting the light right. Well... If possible, the main thing you want to look at is morning sun. Um, if you can get an area where you get morning sun, it's ideal for your ferns to start off with, and then in the afternoon, they're protected. So you're looking at a, a easterly aspect and then pr protected from the west. Um, and also try and find an area that's not going to get hit by hot, northwesterly winds in the summer. Let's assume that the courtyard is sunny and you want to grow ferns. Uh, so you've got to provide some shade, uh, particularly in the afternoon during summer. Uh, if you're putting up shade cloth, what kind of shade would you have? And if you're going to grow it close to a tree, a deciduous tree, uh, whereabouts under the tree would you grow it? Um, for, a, for a shade house, I, I recommend 70% bade shade cloth because I grow a few native dendrobium orchids. So with the bage, it allows enough sunlight through so that they will flower and it also gives enough protection for your ferns inside. Um, if you've got a big tree, yes, you can plant it or hang them underneath the tree or plant them in the ground under the tree. Um, just be wary if you're planting them in the ground under the tree that the tree roots will probably take a lot of the moisture. So you've just got to make sure that you probably mound the soil up a little bit around the tree and break it up with some organic matter or orchid bark and then plant your ferns in there. Well, that takes us to potting mixes and orchid mixes and uh, all those kind of things. So let's assume uh, the ferns are going to be planted in a container. Uh, is the 
average potting mix that you get uh, at the moment is that okay or uh, as a, a an orchid uh, as a fern lover do you actually blend other things in with that particular mix I change some of my my potting mixes because some of the ferns that I grow are epitypes so they sort of attach themselves to another plant but that's another area that needs to be developed uh, but the potting mixes I use, I use a premium potting mix um, to which I add orchid bark, um, maybe some perlite and a little bit of horticultural charcoal. And the reason you do that is that the fern roots are all very fine and very small. So you, you need it when you water it, but the moisture runs through. It doesn't sit in there and it tends to drown the plant. You mentioned uh, it's important that uh, you get uh, the right kind of conditions for the roots. Now, uh, potting mix has got good drainage, but say if you add perlite with it, uh, that's a chunky kind of material, so you get uh, lots of air in there, uh, but uh, presumably it dries out. What about putting in, say, uh, a cocoa peat and things like that? Is there a need to get more moisture in the mix during summer? Uh Sometimes you can do that. Sometimes they recommend that you can use a, a soil wetter, but, but be careful with that. I've used that and I've used too much and it becomes too soggy. So it's only a, a very small amount. Um, but the yeah, cocoa peat is, is all right to use. It, it holds the moisture. Um, but the main thing is it, with your, your potting mix is that it's broken up. Um, I've used bits of five five mil gravel or something like that. Um, I've cut up poly polystyrene boxes into five mil little squares just to put into the mix so it, it's opened up and lets the water drain. All right, so aeration is important, drainage is vital, and we might then uh, shortly take a look at, say, fertilising and repotting. But uh, let's take a look and see what the listeners are doing. Deb, have we got any questions? We have got some questions coming up, so we might take a couple now then. Jenny is at St Mary's. Welcome, Jenny. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you all both? Um, I'm ringing up with a stag fern that I've got on a 40 centimetre round board, which is about five centimetres thick. And the stag horn has completely grown around to the back and is overlapping it by about 20 centimetres. Now, I'm wanting to try and save the board if I can, because there's a whole heap of ferns growing on the back of it now. Maiden hairs, all kinds of little ferns that have just self-seeded, obviously. Uh, so I'm wondering how do I get the stag horn off and then what do I remount it on and how do I remount it? Oh, good good question. Um, <laughs> my, my first thought would be to leave it on the board and I would look at having another board made up and attach that to it. Okay, the, only, so... the, the only problem with... Taking the stag off at the moment is you could lose some of the other plants which you are worried about. Um, but I would be looking at attaching it to another board. That and that way you can the, the outer edges of your stag, you can trim those off 
um, because the new ones, once you attach that to the new board, the new ones will gradually spread out over that and they will cover that board. So if it's if the board's five centimetres thick, I've got a massive red gum round that someone gave me for a little coffee table. So I was thinking of using that. So how do I attach the the softwood? Because it looks like it's just a ring from a tree fern or something like that. How do I attach that to the red gum round? Um, I would be looking at drilling a, drilling a hole through it and using a either a plastic coated wire. You don't want to use straight wire because that, that will rust and that would eventually allow the plant to possibly fall off. Um, I use aluminium wire as a, as a tie, um, but I would use a plastic coated wire and then drill through the board and just remember when you're reattaching it, keep the wire away from the eye, which is around the centre of the plant. Yep. And make the bottom one as tight as possible because you want that and you, and you, you want that to be able to seal. So you make the bottom one as tight as possible and the top wire, just let that be a little bit looser because in the wild they, they tend to hang a little bit backwards which allows them to catch leaf litter and anything like that. So that's what I would be looking at. Right, okay. So if I do that, I'm gonna lose all the ferns that are growing on the back of my round. That's just how it is. Um, on, the, on the tree fern round? Yeah, so on the back of it, when you turn it around, there's actually a whole little mini ecosystem growing on the back. All these different ferns I've never seen before have popped out of the back of the board. Um, I would have to have a look at it, but if if you could take a picture and probably send that through, that yep. would be a better that would give me a better idea of what okay what to actually do. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll get um, your details and where to send that to. So, Jenny, stay on the line, and we'll try and get the your details and <laughs> Wayne's details, and you can get that photograph sent through. Anne is in McGill. And what's your question about ferns? Um, my question is, it seems to be that some of my ferns are more susceptible to different um, bugs. Um, I've got what I call foxtail fern, uh, which doesn't give me any problem whatsoever. I've got um, uh, asparagus fern, I call it hanging. And I've got the sword ferns, the two varieties, one really curly leaf. The sword ferns always seem to get woolly aphid at least once a year. Um, and I'm just wondering if, um, in my maiden here, I've, the only time I have luck with it is I leave it out in the pergola. <laughs> I'm trying to grow some inside, but having no luck. Um, could, can you tell me if some of them are more, and they're in 50 centimetre pots, by the way. They're huge pots. I've had them for about 35 years. Um, they always look magnificent. But I just wonder if, are some varieties more prone to um, uh, scale and uh, woolly aphids more than others? Yeah, they are. You just you have to be have to be wary of them. Sometimes it could be caused because of the the damp conditions where where you've got them. Um, the fox the foxtail fern is is named wrongly because if you will notice it, it does flower. So your ferns ferns don't flower. 
which is un well, no, well, that's good or bad, but um, the sword ferns, you just you just got to be careful with them. Uh, there are sprays and insecticides that you can can use. Um, sometimes it's best if you can cut some of the affected area and, and maybe put it in a, a plastic bag and take it to your local nursery and get them to have a look at it because they're probably seeing it firsthand will be able to give you the best idea of what to use to sort of remedy the problem. What I do in the early stages, I actually can crush them with my fingers and I scrape them. Um, and then if I don't watch them, they can get away. So I use the echo oil or pistol, depending on when I've got them. Is that right? Yep, yep. Another one you can try if you want to is a mix of um, two parts water and one part methylated spirits. And you can put that into a little spray bottle and give your plant a real good spray of that. And then maybe the next week or even three or four days later, repeat the process again. Um, I find that is a fairly cheap way to sort of knock some of the pests on the head, so to speak. So it's something worth Thank a try. You. Thank you. Thanks very much for your call, Anne. Our special guest this morning is Wayne Richards, President of the South Australian Fern Society. If you've got any fern questions, you better jump in fast. We don't have Wayne for much longer. The telephone line is 1300 222891. Still happy to receive your home recipes for controlling algae in pavers on the text 0467 922891. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Wayne, let's take a look at uh, something you just mentioned a moment ago, stags and elks. There's often confusion between those two kind of ferns. Very briefly, could you explain what's the difference between a stag and an elk and why people get them different, get them confused? The elk, elk fern has lots of um, leaflets that come out from it. Um, I suppose you could, you could call them shields, um, nest fronds, whereas the stag only has one main one. Um, where a lot of people get caught, in America, they call their stag an elk and their elk a stag. So we're completely oh, the opposite here. And a lot of, lot of the books that we have refer to them as the American adaption. So we've just, we've just got to be careful. Um, with the elks, you can, they're the ones that you can take pups from, where the stag you can only grow on from spore. And it takes takes years for the spore to get to about 25 centimetres, so to speak. And it's a very slow and long process. Yes, and this morning I don't think we'll talk to you about germinating ferns. Listen, we're going to run out of time. So very briefly, uh, Wayne, uh, let, let's take a look at fertiliser, particularly what you use to uh, keep your ferns looking good. Well, I, I use Charlie, Charlie Carp. Um, you can buy it in a, a spray um, liquid that you can mix 
one tap full to nine litres of water, or they also have pellets. The only thing to be wary of with the pellets, and it's, it's not an issue, they are softer than what your dynamic lifters and rapid raisers are. So some of our members have used the pellets and sprinkled them on top, and when they've watered, they've come back in three or four days, and it looks like a little white mouldy patch that's on, and they were concerned about it. But all it is, are... it just means that the pellet is softer and breaking down. There are a number of different kind of uh, uh, liquid organic fertilisers, and I guess they all work. The important thing is when to apply it. When do you start in the growing season and how often? Well, our normal growing season is late August through to early April. So anywhere in between that is when you when you fertiliser. Um, and you through the wintertime, they're a bit like us. They go a bit dormant, so you... You don't bother about fertilising them. You, the rule of thumb is that you give it a good fertilising um, in in April, which will get it through the winter period. All right. And during the growing season, how often would you give it a liquid fertiliser? Um, well, I would... Depends what you want to do with it, but normally I would do it once a month. Sometimes some plants I might give a bit more to. Um Quite often, I will make up a batch and I'll put in a, the fertilizer in a big tub and I will dunk my plants and I'll let them soak. And then after about 10 or 15 minutes, you see the bubbles that are coming through, they, they stop. So then you know that the plant has fully quenched its thirst. So you then you take it out, hang it up, let it drain, and you go ahead with the next one. That's ideal, yes. And I also, like you, Wayne, I have a 40-litre uh, plastic con bucket or container, and once a month I take my ferns down, or if they're in containers, they just get dunked in a liquid organic fertiliser, half strength, and I do it monthly. And then to that I add uh, one of the uh, soil stimulants, like one of the seaweed or uh, uh, stimulants like that, uh, and uh, they are absolutely brilliant. And I took your advice and fertilised them very late in autumn, and they've come through winter they're just green and they're glistening, looking wonderful at the moment. So um, one final area, perhaps just very, very quickly, uh, Wayne, watering. Um, I've got a, a spray system set up in my, my shade house and I'll put that on in the morning for about four minutes um, and I might do that two or three times a week depending on the weather. Um, the important thing there is to water in the morning, not in the afternoon or late evening, um, because you don't want any of the water and that on the on the fronds. Um, that does help with the with the pest bringing the pest around. So water in the morning, um, and once again September to October. If it's going to be weather where it's 40 degrees or more. Then during the day, I might go out and put them on for a, maybe a minute or so just to create a little bit of humidity in the shade house. Well, perhaps we'll finish up with a few more questions. Yes, Wayne, if you don't mind, Shirley from Hawthorne has two big bird nest ferns. Hi, Shirley. Good morning. I, w I shouldn't say good morning. It hasn't stopped raining all <laughs> the morning. 
Now, I have two very, very large bird nests and I would like to reduce the size of them. Knowing how to do it and when will help me. They also receive a lot of mulch from a golden elm above. Should that be removed from the centre? Thank you. Uh, how old do you think they are? Oh, 20 years, Wayne, probably, or yeah. more. More. So, so the fronds would probably be maybe half a metre in length or more? Yes, a good yeah. metre yeah. in length, the fronds. What you, if you wanted to reduce it, um, you could cut the fronds, cut them back off. New ones will will grow. I wouldn't do it now. I'd wait till early September to start doing that. Um, as far as the elms that falling in the middle of it, I don't think that's an issue because eventually that that breaks down and acts acts as a as a mulch. Um, I have heard of people that have reduced the size of their bird's nest by splitting them into four. Um, some people have had success regrowing them, others have lost them. So I I personally would, would only do one, cut the fronds off one, because if you look at the inside of it now, it's probably showing signs of uh, new new growth coming. So I would probably, in a month or so, trim them back. Um, also, you've got to remember, because you're going to trim them back, we could get some hot weather early. So you need to make sure that you probably protect the plant from that hot weather if it comes up. Does that help? Rain Wayne, that will help me. I'm glad I don't have to do this until September. It's too cold and wet to do it yeah. now. <laughs> Thanks. And, and Wayne, the golden earl gives it enormous amount of shade. It is huge. So um, it will be protected in summer. So thank you okay, for that. Then. No worries, Shirley. Thank you very much for the call, Shirley. A lovely. Christine saying a wonderful morning for me. I love the rain and I have to say lots of places around South Australia enjoying a drink right now. Sandra is in Morfitt Vale. Now you've got brown tips on your fern leaves. Yes, I um, have all my ferns in pots and I bring them inside in the summertime because they cook. But um, I've got a silver lace fern, a terrace and some formus. Um, and it says not to keep it too wet, but I think when it gets brown tips, maybe I'm watering it too much. Yes, yes. Um, I think that's a common problem. We we seem to think that because the ferns are from Queensland or whatever, they like lots of water, but we're probably better off keeping a bit on the dry side. A good rule of thumb is if you can stick your finger on your potting mix, and it feels damp, don't water it. Let it go for another few days, let it dry out a bit. Um, as far as the, the pests are concerned, um, once again, depending on what they are, my, as I said, if you cut one off, put it in a bag, take it to the nursery, um, you can use white oil or pyrethrum, anything like that that might, and you could also try using that methylated spirits and water one just to see if it has 
has any effect on on the plant. But yeah, unfortunately. Um, and the other thing to remember, if you've got a one or two plants that are covered with them, try to separate them. Take that, take them away from the others, uh, so that they, there's less likely that the insects will go to the others. Oh, thank you so much for all your your help. Have Thanks, a wonderful day. <laughs> Thanks, Sandra. You have a wonderful day too. And our last caller on ferns this morning is Annette from Moana with an elk fern question. Hi, Annette. Good morning, everyone. Um, Wayne, I have a huge elk fern on my easterly brick wall uh, and my fern also has very brown tips, but I don't... I think it's more from burn and they look really unsightly. Am I able to cut the brown tips off or should I uh, remove each uh, each stem right back to the the base or leave it alone? Um, the, the brown patches that are on the ends, are they in a elongated section, maybe 50 to 70 mil long? Oh, yes, I would think so. That's that's probably the spore of uh, the elk. Yeah, worse than that. I, I think I I think I would recognise that. And yes, indeed, uh, some of it would be. But okay, well, all right. Well, let's go with it with the spore. What? What? Just leave it then. Yeah, I would leave that. If if you don't think it's the spore, the the little bits that dry out or curled up. I I trim mine back. They look a bit unsightly. Um, yep. But if you wanted to, you could trace it back to the to near the eye of the the plant, and you can just cut them off now. It it won't matter trimming them back now because if you have a look around it, new ones are starting to form now anyway. Yeah. So no. cutting them cutting them off, it just makes the appearance look a little bit better. Well, it certainly looks horrible right. now, but it'll be very naked if I cut them right back. But I, I shall do that. So if it's just the spores, I just leave it, you think? Yep, yep. If it's just the spore, leave it. Um, and if you're going to cut them back, uh, just do a few at a time. Well, that gives the chance for the others to grow. And when they start to develop a bit more, then you can cut the others back a little bit as well. Thanks, Annette, and thank you for all of your fern calls this morning. Wayne, Richard, thank you most kindly. I think you love talking ferns as much as people love talking to you about ferns. And uh, the Fern Society is very active. If you're interested in ferns, suggest you go on to the web, SA Fern Society. They have a wonderful newsletter full of information, and I think you'll learn a lot more. But, Wayne, thank you most kindly for your contribution this morning. No worries, John and Deb. I'm grateful for the opportunity to 
say a few words, I suppose. <laughs> Impart your knowledge on us. Thanks, Wayne. Uh, Wayne Richards, President of the South Australian Fern Society. And thank you to Trevor who sent through a picture of a beautiful staghorn fern growing in an atrium entrance in Adelaide uh, with a lovely light source. Well done. Thank you very much for that. We're going to talk about your general talkback gardening calls in just a moment. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number to call. We'll also catch up with Stefan Palm and hear some of your home recipes for controlling algae in pavers. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. We are going to catch up with Stefan Palm in just a moment and talk about algae, but Jackie from Evandale has been hanging on for a very long time and we'll take her call. Jackie, good morning to you. Good morning, Deb, and good morning, John. Um, I'd just like to tell you a bit of um, feedback. Last Saturday during the big storm, about one in the morning, um, we lost about a third of our 40-foot lily-pilly tree, um, and it split sort of sidewards, if that makes sense, and it was very devastating, and we, um, yeah, we just didn't know what to do. We thought we'd have to get the tree grubbed out and removed. However, uh, about a year ago on your show, you spoke about Monato Zoo and their browse coordinator wanting um, prunings and things. So we contacted Monato and over three days, uh, Chris, the browse coordinator, came down with his trailer and removed um, most of the, the foliage that had come down um, across our whole garden and took it up. And he's been sending us photos of the um, the black rhino and the bongo eating our, our lily pilly. Um, so out of a really awful thing for us, and just as, as well, we were able to think save the tree. Our arborist came out and he's trimmed it back significantly. So hopefully the tree survives that. But out of an awful thing, we've had such a pleasure dealing with Monato and knowing that um, our our foliage that you know would have probably gone to a chip or otherwise has gone to feed the animals up at Monato. So um, he's he's given us a list of tree species. Um, so you know if anybody's got big trees and they need pruning done, um, it'd be a worthwhile um, thing to to ring up. Monato and perhaps talk to them about um, getting Chris to come down or one of his team to come down and collect that because it's just so heartwarming as I say in, in disadvantage you know we've had a, a lovely outcome from that. Yeah Jackie what a lovely story thank you so much for sharing that with us and of course we have got a couple of storm fronts moving across South Australia at the moment so there might be a lot of people um, in the same situation at the end of this weekend so keep Monato Zoo in mind. Jackie great suggestion um, on that front and we might talk about storm damage if we get an opportunity John before 10 o'clock but um, we're getting lots of recipes for dealing with algae, but should we hear what the experts got to say first? Let's talk to Stefan Palm. He's a turf consultant here in South Australia. And a couple of weeks ago, Stefan produced a blog. He writes a, 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 blo a lawn blog every week. It's brilliant. And a couple of weeks ago, it was on moss and algae and lawns. And anybody that's got pavers would be very well aware that in between the pavers, it's now bright green. And algae is rife and it's spreading and it's going to be even worse by the time winter is over, I reckon, unless we do something. So what can you do? Good morning to you, Stefan Palm. Good morning. So, Stefan, uh, we know it's there. The thing is, what to do? Algae is one of those things that... Uh, you, uh, 
people are not too sure what to hit it with. Um, so there are new products that have come onto the market which are very, very effective. Could you just talk us a little bit about what is the product and why it's so effective? Yeah, look, um, um, even even just prior to that, look, the, um, the the presence of moss and algae, especially in lawns, is often something that's that's overlooked, and it's it shouldn't be because it can successfully outcompete a lawn almost all the time. So, when you notice moss and algae growing in your lawn, it's it's a good idea to actually um, get onto it and and get rid of it. And yeah, like you say, there are some really good um, products around that that have been released recently, and they they contain an active ingredient called benzalkonium chloride. Um, it's a um, it's a very inert um, type of product. It's not acidic. It doesn't include doesn't include chlorines or bleaches or anything like that. It's simply um, um, sprayed onto the moss and algae, and you can you can use it to spray not only hard surfaces like pavers or furniture, even or roofs or anything anywhere where you get moss and algae growing. But you can also spray it on on lawns. Um, it doesn't it doesn't affect the lawn. Um, it, at, at worst, it can slightly discolour it, but but it um, it gets in and and um, and controls the moss and algae very effectively. So yeah, very very good products. And the reason I'm talking to you about it is because a lot of the product, previous products, uh, they've contained bleaches or they've been uh, toxic to animals or to uh, the environment. How does this one rate in term from an environmental point of view? Well, it's very it's very good along those sorts of lines, and that that's why it's so revolutionary. It's it's not a um, um, it's not a fast-acting product, so lot, lots of those sort of bleaches and, and, and chlorines and um, acidic-type products um, will work quickly, whereas these don't. Um, they they can take they can take anywhere up to six months to work, but typically only a few weeks. But you'll notice a slow um, a slow working. But as far as their toxicity goes, it's very very low. Very good. Right. Oh, now the product uh, people won't uh, come up with the uh, active ingredient. Uh, uh, is there more than one label out there? Or yeah, there I, are, I think um, in this case it would. Be, you need to mention the names of the products. Yeah, sure. Like the um, the most popular one is called Wet and Forget. Um, it's a, it's a product. It's a, a blue coloured product. It's a liquid. You can buy it all around town. You can Google that. In fact, if you do Google that, you'll get a range of um, um, that one and a few others that are, that are around that do do a similar job. Um, and so that's that's the way to find it. But um, you simply mix it up as per the instructions and spray it on um, to a to a saturation point and um, and walk away from it. And the one downside is its cost. It, it's fairly costly. It is. <laughs> it's expensive. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you know, for for the smallest bottle of wet and forget, it's around the fifty dollar mark. Um, it'll cover between fifty and hundred square meters of area. So it's it's um, it does cover a reasonable area. However, yeah, it, it doesn't come cheaply. But um, for that, you get a, a specialty product that does exactly what it says. It, it absolutely works. Um, it, it carries with it. And it works on. Yeah, it works on lawns uh, and, and works on moss on lawns as well as the algae on pavers. Yeah, you, you wouldn't think it would you. You can you can use the same product and just drift on from one to the next. There are there is a slightly different mixing rate when you when you start to apply it to living plants as opposed as opposed to hard surfaces. But um, yeah, there is no um, um, follow the directions here at risk of of killing um, plants by using. I wouldn't mind talking to you about waterlogged soils, but we might have to do that in another program because uh, I suspect that we've asked uh, uh, home gardeners to come in with their recipes, their recipes, so you might like to listen. Yes, uh, Stefan. Yeah, I'd love uh, to.
run a few past you if you wouldn't mind because um, a lot of them are organic. Lola at Summerton Park says um, this year particularly severe algae on pavers and usually ends up just waiting until spring and then getting the pressure cleaning out and going like gang uh, Ghostbusters style until they're new again. (laughs) Um, Bridget says I use boiling water for the algae. It works a treat. I take a full jug out every day and do a section of pavers. And Jenny from York Peninsula does a combination of both. She uses boiling water to pour them on and then sweeps or uses a pressure hose to get rid of them. Uh, Sue from Blackwood also does it with boiling water, uh, both with weeds and moss. Now, we've got a few – well, we've got uh, Frosty talking about pool chemicals. If we're keeping it organic – we won't give that recipe out. Virginia of South Plimpton and Pamela at West Lakes both use a diluted symptom with some bleach in it. But I'd love you to listen to this one, Stefan, because Joe says, we ran an informal experiment a few years ago cleaning the old terracotta tiles around St Matthew's Church in Hamilton, South Australia. They used in one trial ash from a fireplace mixed with water to make a paste and then they did bleach on the other one and they worked the same. Wow. So there you go, that's ash, in, ash and water. Amazing. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And vinegar is often sometimes used by some people. I'm not too sure how effective that is. Um, if you go with strong vinegar, you've got uh, an acid that you're working with. And of course, the hot water worries me because uh, if you're coming boiling water and carrying that round, there's a danger factor there. But a lot of the problems is, Stefan, is that they'll give you a quick fix but it keeps on coming back. How does That's this right. wet and fet, wet and uh, set and uh, which is it wet and wet, wet and, and set? Forget, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wet and well, forget. It, it, How could it, I forget? <laughs> not only How does it rate in terms of long-term control? Well, that, that's one of the, the high benefits of this, this um, particular approach is that it, it breaks down the spores as well. So the, the algae's and moss's uh, ability to, to re-germinate and regrow in that area is gone. It, doesn't, it can't reproduce. So while it can um, recolonise from, from spores into the future that, that you know, come back into the area, but what's there is gone. Um, and so you, you don't have to go out and, and keep on going at it um, as you go. And and with some of those other approaches too, with, while they're good for hard surfaces, they're not as good for, well, you obviously can't do them for, for plants, for, for lawns, you'd, you'd kill the lawn in the process. So, um, yeah, there, there is definitely um, horses for courses when you're, when you're dealing with moss and algae, depending on the, the situation that you're, you're attacking. Yes. Stefan Palm, wonderful turf consultant here in South Australia, writes a lawn blog each week. And if you go onto Munns Lawns, you'll find the blog there. And you can also get it on the Good Gardening newsletter. It's available there on a weekly basis. Stefan, look forward to talking to you in the future. No, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Stefan. Stefan Palm. We'll take a quick question before I give away our, one of our ABC Gardening Australia magazines from John in Strathalban. Now, you've got a peach and nectarine tree that's got some splits near the base, John. Yes, thank you very much, and good morning to you both. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, yes, I've noticed that my I've got a goldmine nectarin and I've got a red hazen peach. Uh, the peach is a prolific bearer and a beautiful fruit, uh, whereas the nectarine uh, seems to uh, uh, provide some diet for the boggies, and they pinch all the buds off. 
Now I can fix that with a net. That's not the problem. I have a split on the bottom, of, on the base of the both trees, about 40 centimetres long, uh, by about or oh, 25 centimetres, uh, 25 mil wide, perhaps at the bottom. Uh, John, is there anything that you could recommend that I do to the tree, or is it the start of the inevitable? I think it's worth saving it if they're good trees. Um, from an ornamental point of view or from a fruiting point of view, it's worthwhile trying to save them. And you can. Um, ideally, uh, an arborist would come along and, and work it out for you. What uh, they would do, I suggest, is they would get little eye bolts. You're familiar with a, a little eye bolt. You can screw it through, say, a, a branch. And uh, so you've got a, a bolt or going through the branch and it's got a little eye a, a little eye on it. And you put one on either side, uh, one into both of the, of the, the branches, and then you get uh, a cable and probably getting marine cable. And uh, so you're basically attaching... Uh, the cable to the eye bolts, but you've got to get the placement of those eye bolts correct so that uh, uh, the tree doesn't sort of get top heavy and, and break where you've got the eye bolts in. But it's possible to bolt them together, uh, but you want some movement in the branches, and that's why you have bolts, um, but uh, they're connected with a cable, and that cable allows movement in the branches. So the concept is there. Uh, you could have a go at it if you reckon you, 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 you'd like to do it, but uh, um, getting strong or good advice from an arborist, I think, would be recommended. Well, you might find that uh, what I've just uh, mentioned, you can probably find a, a video on, on uh, the web that probably shows you how you can actually do it. And getting, But getting the placement of those bolts is the important thing. Okay, but this the, the split starts right at the base of the trunk and goes up the trunk, yes. Yeah, so the tree has split in half, is, is that correct, or is uh, it just uh, a, a branch is split? It's just the bark. Just right. the bark okay. is split. Uh, has it gone into the wood at all, or is just the bark no. coming off? No, no, no. It's just, yeah, it, it, it's split over time, it's split. I think... I need to be able to see that. If you could send a photo in for next week, I can address it. There's just too many variables, and I'm just conscious the time is... Yeah, we are fast running, running out, out of John. time, John. I Look, don't uh, think I can give you yeah, a quick um, answer on that it, one. It, it, I mean, it could be that the bark has been sunburnt. That's probably, if it's on the western side, it'll be sunburnt. There's got to be a reason for the bark coming off, and, and if the wood is dead, well, then uh, uh, it depends on how much bark is actually left there. So, uh, uh, yeah, more investigation is required to give you a decent answer there, John. Thanks very much, John. We have got an ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away to you right now if you haven't won anything from us in the last month. The phone number is 1300 222 Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. Congratulations to Cynthia from Sejuna who has won our ABC Gardening Australia magazine. Well done. Let's go to my lens now. Michelle, you were lucky enough to get an orchid as a gift. Yes, I have received one and I have no idea how to look after it. Do you know what kind of an orchid it is? Let me just check. It's a... Phalaenophilus? Symbidium, right, okay. Oh, look, uh, you could go to the SA Orchid Club 
website, and they have lots of valuable information there in, in terms of how to look after it. The important thing is uh, it needs good light, good strong light, um, and so putting it in a protected position uh, where it's shaded from the afternoon sun would be a starting point. Um, it needs to be uh, uh, watered regularly during the growing period. Uh, it needs to be fertilised with a slow-release fertiliser early in spring and then monthly with a, a liquid organic fertiliser. Um, that gets you started. Uh, and getting the location, giving it so where it gets morning sun maybe, or full sun during winter, but during summer it needs to be protected from the sun in the afternoon underneath a shady uh, deciduous tree would be, I think, an ideal position for it. So that's a starting point there, I think uh, <laughs> um, maybe we can uh, help you there, Michelle. And if you want a lot more information, the Orchid Club of South Australia just is a very, very uh, well-organised club and uh, I'm sure you'd find a lot of help there. Well, good luck, Michelle. You might end up becoming quite an expert on orchids if you uh, get that information from the club. But Susie from Yankalilla will be our last caller this morning. You've got a weeping cherry tree question, Susie. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yes, I bought a, a well, now five-year-old weeping cherry tree. I bought it six months ago. Uh, it was in a pot. I had it put in the ground and I've just recently moved uh, house, so I took it with me. Um, I just need to know what's the best way to care for it now that it's in a pot. I'm planning on putting it into a half wine barrel. Righto. Have you moved it or are you about to move it? Into I've a, moved a, it. Wine barrel? Yeah. You have? Uh, okay. Uh, well, I'd suggest that if it's been moved, that's good because I'm going to suggest it's important that you move it before the end of winter. So the important thing then is is uh, what to do with it to keep it, get it going. Um, was it putting on very strong growth before you moved it? Uh, yeah, it was actually, yes. Yeah. Well, I'd suggest that uh, you look at the main frame. The important thing is to, uh, in the first 12 months, restore the framework of your tree. So you've got a main trunk and you've got uh, weeping branches coming uh, off from that. Uh, so, so long as the main trunk is intact, you're looking at uh, uh, the, the branches that are coming out and, and weeping. And if they are nicely formed, uh, then reduce. Uh, Reduce them. Right. Well, the important thing with that, the weeping cherry with for Susie is that she just reduces the canopy. And if she does that, you'll find that in springtime it'll come into new growth. At that stage, give it, if it's in a container, a slow release fertilizer is your best bet, one that's selected for fruit and vegetables. And then during the growing season, maybe a monthly half strength liquid organic fertiliser would also be well worthwhile. And I think if she does all those kind of things, uh, it should recover and look pretty good in 12 months' time. Great. Thank you, Susie. Thank you to everybody who has called through this morning. John, we've got some wild weather. We've only got a few seconds before the 10 o'clock news, but I guess people need to try and do what they can to minimise damage right now if, if it's not already pouring with rain. Yes, I think uh, be aware that soils are becoming waterlogged. If you can move the water so that it doesn't run over to your garden is, is one thing. If you do have waterlogged water, then probably uh, adding gypsum. Uh, and I think there are so many other things. Uh, probably next week, I think we might devote this program to uh, recovery after the storm if it's uh, very, very serious. Okay. Anyway, I'll say until next week, Deb, good gardening.